Hello, and welcome to another episode of our podcast recorded at the Seventh-day Adventist Church of Adairsville. I'm Jared, and we're delighted you're listening. But if you're ever in the area, we'd be even more excited if you dropped in to say hi and enjoyed some good Southern food with us. How many of you have heard the word bandwidth? That's most of us. This morning, I want to talk to you about the idea of bandwidth. Hope you're as excited as I am. (laughs) We're not just going to talk about the download speed kind of bandwidth. But there's another type of bandwidth. It's often used when it relates with an individual's capacity or a company or organization's capacity. We often hear it in this saying, I don't think I or we have the bandwidth for that. So it often relates with capacity, as we're going to find out. So let me ask you a couple questions. Do you, in your life, your busy life right now, have time for other people? Do you have money to share with other people? Are you thoughtful? Meaning, throughout the day, does your mind have capacity to think about other people? Here's a few more. What occupies your thoughts most afternoons? Most nights when you put your head on that cool pillow? Most mornings when you wake up? What are you thinking? What are you thinking about? Throughout your day and your week, what occupies your time? And then... What, if we were to go through each of our bank accounts up here this morning, what are you spending your money on? Okay, so now that we got that, and we may be a little rattled. I know I was as I thought through some of those questions. I thought, wow. All right, here's some statistics I think are very, very interesting. First, with the word bandwidth, which finds its use beginning in the 1950s. Definition number one, the capacity for data transfer of an electronic communication system. Sounds boring enough. This is usually very pertinent to us when we're seeking to read or view or watch something on our phone or on our computer. They find that uh, generations under 30 would give up a number of important things in life before they would give up their internet. Definition number two, the emotional or mental capacity necessary to do or consider something. All right, so you got that? Those are the two definitions of bandwidth. So staying on the digital side of things, Iraq has the slowest mobile download speed in the world. Three megs a second. Jim, these are some numbers I'm sure you'll appreciate. You understand megs a second stuff. I'm learning it now. Uh, Norway has the fastest, 62 megs a second on their phones. The fastest in the world for landlines is Singapore, 154 megs a second on average. And the slowest, Venezuela. There is an expression with bandwidth uh, 
when many devices are on the same router in a company or a church or your house, everybody's using a device. It could be the TV is pulling some through the pipes. It could be your phone. It could be somebody else's phone and somebody else's computer and then somebody else's tablet. Everybody is consuming bandwidth. This can even happen sometimes on our own device. You've got a lot of windows open. You're watching this video on YouTube. You're reading this news story. You're doing this transaction. You're paying this bill. But sometimes when so many windows are open, it limits our ability to enjoy something we really want to enjoy. And so the solution is we close some windows down and other windows speed up. We have more time to focus on some things that mean more to us than the other peripheral things. We're still talking digital. Now I want to talk about capacity. According to the Center for American Progress on the topic of work and family life balance, uh-oh, here we go. In 1960, only 20% of mothers worked. So I love to see data and ask why. So it's one of my passions in life. Here's some data. Why is that the case? Here's the second part. Today, 70% of American children live in households where all adults are employed. So 20% to 70%. In the United States, 85.8% of males and 66.5% of females work more than 40 hours per week. Using data by the United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics, the average productivity per American worker has, do you think it's gone up or down since 1950? Do you think it's gone up? All right. It has increased 400% since 1950. In reality, the United States trails only Norway and Luxembourg in productivity per person. That was shocking to me. But then it gets interesting. One way to look at that is that it should take only one quarter of the work it used to, or 11, excuse me, of one quarter of the work, or 11 hours per week, to afford the same standard of living as a worker in 1950. We should be able to live like we did in 1950 on 11 hours of work per week. Or our standard of living should be four times higher. One of the two. Is that the case? That is definitely not the case. Some people have to take two and three jobs just to pay rent and maybe afford a little bit of fast food. But somebody's profiting. It's just not we, the American worker. I personally think this... Uh, latest industrial revolution with robots and automation where we go to the store and that friendly greeter that used to greet us at checkout is now 300 feet that way and we have a line of automated checkout systems that never seem to work for me. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? That's interesting. Do we have more or less bandwidth today? Let's talk about the time kind, the capacity kind. Do we as humans, living in the United States, do we have more capacity to do in 2018 than we did in 1950? What do you think? Or could it be that we just happen to want more than we used to? In 1950, a television was a luxury. Today, it is a commodity. Is covetousness, there's the Bible word, but in our vernacular we'd say, is materialism increasing? Do we just want more stuff? Well, it's probably because our families are bigger in 2018, right? Ralph, you're in the housing industry, you can attest to this. In 1950, the average American home was 3.3 individuals. In 2018, 2.56. So our family size in the United States, shrinking. Well, then our homes must be shrinking. No. In the 1950s, the average home size, anybody want to guess? Less. 983 square feet. I'm sure some of you grew up in a home where brother and sister didn't have their own wing. They had their own bunk, right? In 2018, the average new home size, 2,641 square feet. That is a lot bigger, about three times as large. Yet the family is shrinking. The modern household spends about 43% of its budget on housing. 43%. 1959. The average house value was $12,100. The average salary was $5,100. In 2018, by the way, that's a 42% ratio. I thought that was very interesting. You made 42% of what your house value was. In 2018, the average house cost to build, $350,000. The average salary, it says $59,000, 20%. So now our homes, what is it, five times our salaries on average? What? What's going on here? Here's another statistic, talking about capacity and bandwidth. The total caring for and helping household children, Bureau of Labor and Statistics again. How much time each day is spent for caring for a child? And this includes everything possible. Two hours and 15 minutes per day. Of those two hours and 15 minutes, the average home is reading to their children for guess how long? Three to five minutes. So I think what we're doing here with offering story time in the community, this is a luxury that we know statistically, any teachers, Tammy, you know, this leads to amazing outcomes in life, just reading to a child. The average phone usage a day, 
is more than how much time on average we're spending with our children. Two and a half hours. And we could probably have three hands raised for all of us guilty. So what has changed? I have a theory what's changed. There are a lot more messaging coming my way in 2018 that I should not be satisfied with what I have, that there's something better that I need to buy. And if I'm lucky, I don't have to buy it. They'll finance it. This is through the window of my phone. This is driving down the freeway with billboards. We're told now that we get over 300 messages marketed to us each day, on average in the United States. 300 products being marketed to us. Over half of those are not realized. They're just subconsciously consumed. Think about it. Think about commercials. You need this in your life to look like this person, to be as happy as this, cu this couple. Your life is not great without X. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 12, and 13, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Throughout your life, can you relate with that? A time of need and a time of, man, I've got more than I need. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then that famous line, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 1 Timothy 6, 6, we read that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Luke 12, 15. I know I'm bombarding you. Hear me out. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. But we're going somewhere. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 13. That each of them may eat and drink. This is Solomon, wisest, richest man ever. And find satisfaction in all their toil or work. This is the gift of God. Listen to this statistic. Gallup reports that the American workplace, in the American workplace, over 50% of us are not satisfied or content with our work. So I've got a theory on that. A hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, the majority of us woke up, we went outside, and we worked with our hands. We, we sweat, we breathed fresh air, we were hungry when mealtime came. We saw the, the results of our labor. I started today, that was not done. I've ended the day, and that is done. I have accomplished something today. And I think we went to sleep with satisfaction. But today we go to work, and let's just be real honest, this is a safe place. In many of our jobs, it is not satisfying. I don't know what I did today. I pushed paper, I answered phones, I did this, I wrote checks, I... I dealt with problematic employees, I, whatever the thing may be, and I think somebody else is making money on me. So I really don't know 
what I did today. And therefore, I'm unsatisfied. And therefore, maybe that thing in the commercial would make me happy. So it's like this perfect storm. I'm not satisfied on a daily experience. So maybe these things being marketed to me are what I'm missing in life. And then these two worldviews come in conflict. The temporary and the eternal. We're talking about capacity. Abraham had capacity. Very wealthy man. But Hebrews 11 verses 8 through 10 tells us this. By faith, he lived as an alien, a foreigner in the land of promise. This was his land. It says, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He had the capacity to spend a lot more money on himself than he did. But he said, you know what, I'm just passing through here. This world is not my home. And so that's really our question. If we believe this is all there is, that it is survival of the fittest, the fastest, and the most financed, then we better get it while the getting's good. Get that new thing. Go to that new place. Buy that new thing. Buy that new thing. But we find these things don't satisfy us. And we find ourselves in what we in America have mastered. It's called the rat race. And it is, I thought all these things would make me happy. I'm loaded down with debt and payments. And I've got to do these things just to stay afloat. Therefore, Jenny, I don't have time to come read to children. I don't have time to come visit you when you're sick in the hospital. And you know what I believe? I don't even think it's an excuse sometimes. Literally, I don't have time. Because I have built this framework where I can't get out of it. And now we have a generation that was told the gold of Oz is at the end of your educational rainbow. Go get you that $100,000, $150,000 worth of debt and you will get that satisfying job. And then the debt is there, and you got to get a job, but it may not be the one that wakes you up in the morning. And that leads us to a story. In, in your Bible, on the seats, it's page 838. If you're not using that Bible, it is Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. I hope what we've been going through you can resonate with some. I know in my own life, I resonate with this strongly of how much is enough? How do I find more capacity in life? Chapter 19, verse 16. Here's the scene. Jesus has just been blessing children. His disciples thought, why are you wasting your time with children? And Jesus this individual that always is surprising us, he says, no, 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 let him come. Let him come. So they bl he blesses the children. And there are a lot of people always watching Jesus. 
just like there are a lot of people always watching you. How are you going to react in this situation? So there's a very wealthy individual who's watching Jesus. He's a member of the Pharisee honored society. He has a bright future ahead of him. And he watches Jesus bless these children and he thinks to himself, maybe that's what I need. I've got all this, I've got all these things, I've got all this respect. But you know, maybe what Jesus is giving these children is the thing I'm missing. He sincerely believes this. Uh, this story is also in Mark and in Luke. And so there's a lot of details we can bring in here. And here's one of them. Jesus does this. He blesses the children. And then he begins to walk. He's headed somewhere else. This man begins running after Jesus. Gets down on his knees. And this is where we pick up our story. He says, Good teacher. What good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So I want to talk about something. I think it's very hard in the West, especially where we have birthed the American dream, where there are two sides of an issue. One side says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat, there's no free lunch. And I believe this man lived by this idea. I've worked hard in life. I deserve what I've got because I've worked for it. And so he's asking in a very logical sense, what do I need to do to get the reward that I'm looking for? Eternal life. Just tell me the transaction, Jesus. I'm a businessman. What are the details here? Verse 17. So he said to him, this is Jesus' response, Why do you call me good? Jesus is always the master of, I think we call this the Socratic method. Uh, I've been reading about a number of schools lately that are converting entirely to this. Because there's not always one answer in life, this Socratic method is, what do you think? How do you read it? I'm, I'm enamored and fascinated with this concept. So Jesus is the master of this. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay, this wealthy individual, a part of the Pharisees, oh, this is perfect. This is working right into what I was hoping this conversation would go. And he says in verse 18, Uh, Jesus says to him, he said to him, which ones? Now instantly, we understand, uh, maybe his emotional intelligence wasn't at an all-time high here. He's talking to Jesus, he understands the law very well. Jesus tells him, if you want to inherit, inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. Is that singular or plural? Plural. And he says, which ones? By asking which ones, he clearly is admitting, I may not be keeping all. Because if he was keeping all and he was clear of it, and you know that's a dangerous place to be anyway, I keep all the commandments, but he could have said, oh, then I'm good here. Thank you. Heidi, this is good. You guys have a good day. I'm on my way. But no, he says, 
which ones? So Jesus says, and if you'll turn with me, put a, uh, hold your finger here, and go to Exodus chapter 20. And this is where it's fun to be a deep Bible student. As I was looking and Googling and all these things, nobody really brings this out. And I know some other Adventist preachers have brought this out, and to them I give credit for bringing my attention to this. So Jesus says, okay, we're going to play that game. I'll play that game. You want to know which commandments to keep? As if I was going to tell you two of ten. And Jesus starts to go down the list, assuming that he already believes in the first four which deal with him and God. It's interesting, Jesus deals with the ones that deal with him and his fellow man. And Jesus starts to go. First one, you shall not murder. What number commandment is that? You got your finger in Exodus 20. What is it? It's number six. All right? Now this guy, he's a Pharisee. He's very smart. He's listening. You shall not murder. Check. Now, I wonder if he had heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says, if you're angry with someone without cause, you're guilty of the same thing. I don't know. You shall not murder. Next one. You shall not commit adultery. Which number is that? Seven. Have you ever taken one of those IQ tests? I'm sure this guy was thinking, wait a second. may not have had high EQ, but he might have had high IQ. And he might be thinking now, oh, maybe we're going somewhere. Next one. You shall not bear false witness. What number is that? What number? Eight? Nine? Okay, so he's like, oh, we're going here, we're going here, okay, okay. Oh, I, I skipped one, I'm sorry. You shall not commit adultery. I wonder why my brain was short-circuiting. You shall not steal. What number is that one? Eight. Okay, so we went six, seven, eight. You're the rich young ruler. Where are we going next? Nine. And what's the next one? You shall not bear false witness. Is that the ninth commandment? All right, so you're tracking with Jesus. Six, seven, eight, nine. Ah, please don't go to ten. Please don't go to ten. And Jesus says, and uh, honor your father and your mother. Which number is that? Five. Oh. Okay. And verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things have I kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Now, there are conversations, and then there's what's not being said. And Jesus was a master of, here's the public conversation, but you and I know, Rick, what's really going on. You're, you're smart enough, and I know you're smart enough. We went six, seven, eight, nine, five. Hmm. Now, it's interesting to read the commentary here. This was a sincere man. And, and we're told Jesus needed him in his personal ministry. He literally wanted him to be one of the disciples. Wanted him to be one of the disciples. And that he loved him. It's interesting. It, it, it makes it particular, and it says he loved this guy. He loved what he could bring to the Lord's work. He saw potential. He saw capacity. He saw this bandwidth. I need you. I want you to follow me. And we can dance around the subject all day long, or I can go to the straight point in your character, and we can move right along with life, and we can make some progress and change the world. 
And this guy continues to dialogue, and he says, what do I still lack? In verse 20. Jesus said to him, what's the Tenth Commandment? Don't covet. Don't let materialism be your God. We read that verse, uh, Jesus says in Luke 16, verse 13, you cannot serve God and what? It says mammon. It's interesting that they believe that mammon was the demon of covetousness, the demon of greed. Today we would call it um, Madison Avenue. <laughs> the demon that says, you don't have enough, you need more. Materialism. So this is what's warring. If we really believe there's some supernatural activity in the universe, this is what is warring in this young, rich, young ruler's heart. This demon whispering in his ear and the Holy Spirit whispering in the other. And Jesus says to him, If you want to be perfect, and let me tell you, the Pharisees wanted to be perfect. If you want to be perfect... And this got his attention. He's like, you know what? A lot of the Sadducees don't talk about perfection. I like your style, Jesus. Tell me what I got to do. Go, sell what you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. What's interesting here is there's no guesswork. Guarantees. If you go, sell what you have, Give to the poor. And that's what he wanted in the beginning. Just tell me what i got to do. So rather than Jesus explaining uh, saved by grace and justification by faith and getting into the theological gymnastics we sometimes do, he goes straight to it. If you want to know what you've got to do, a demon controls your life. It makes you greedy. It makes you covetous. And you love things more than you love God. You love yourself more than you love other people. So here's what you're going to do. Go sell your stuff, give it to those who need it, the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Guaranteed. This is like a financial transaction. Then your treasure will be up there. And then come follow me. You'll be one of us. Man, that's pretty enticing. Jesus didn't give that easy entrance into this inner circle often. And he knows he's heard six, seven, eight, nine, five, and he knows what his issue is in life. I want, let me read it. I want my neighbor's house. I want his wife. I want his employees. I want his toys. I want his tractor. I want everything my neighbor's got. And verse 22 tells us. When the young man heard that saying, this was the proposition, he went away sorrowful. Why did he go away sad? Because he had a lot of stuff. I've got houses in X and Y and Z. I've got companies in these countries. I've got all these different things. Man. I don't think I can follow you. For he had great possessions. Jesus is a master here. He goes right after his ambition. You want to be ambitious? You want to do something drastic? You want to be king of your castle? Here's what you do. And he, he realizes, I can't do that. 
and he walks away. He had bandwidth, and he knew it. He had capacity to bless other people. A part of that story, I'll be honest, that that is curious to me, it doesn't explicitly say sell all you have. This was such an issue to him that I don't think he could sell anything he had. Or maybe it was sell all you have. Give to the poor. It doesn't say give all to the poor. But it didn't matter. Jesus was very plain. Do this, do this. Because he knew what was going on. Jesus knew the people he was speaking with. He understood the situation. He understood what's occupying your thoughts most days. He understands what's occupying my time most days. He sees, and now we have on the new update with the iPhone, he sees or has known what I now can see more clearly. How much time am I spending on this device, in this particular app? He sees how I'm spending my time. And he definitely sees how I'm spending my money. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Because this idea of bandwidth and capacity is very relevant because rather than making things complicated, Jesus says, look, here's how this whole thing is sorted out. In Matthew 25 and verse 31. It's going to be sorted out on bandwidth. On your capacity. Did you have the opportunity to know what is right? He's going to judge you on that. Maybe you didn't. But here here it is in explicit detail. Just as clear as he was with the rich young ruler. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. The judgment has already been decided. Now the sorting begins. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another, and shepherd, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then I'm going to add some words before we go on. You had the ability, you had the capacity, you had the bandwidth, you had extra time. I want to know how you used it. I gave you, this is something I've been thinking about lately, I gave you the luxuries of technology so that you would have more time. You don't have to wash your clothes and hang them out on a line necessarily. There's technology where you can go somewhere or the luxury in your own home, wash your clothes in a machine, pull them out and put them in another machine and it dries. And in the meantime, you have time. So we have these things that have given us more time. And he asks, how did you use it? I was hungry. You gave me food. Meaning you had an excess of food or the ability to sacrifice some of what you had. You had the capacity there, and you shared your food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. Let's just assume there was enough for us, and additional, and Jesus is saying, you shared what was extra. I was a stranger, 
and you took me in. You could have used your assets and resources only for yourself, but you shared them. I was naked, and you clothed me. I had enough clothing where I said enough is enough, and that's a rare thing in the clothing industry. I'm going to share. I was in prison, and you came to me. This is interesting. If, if you've ever had, I've recently had three good friends who I've spent in life, I don't know, two to 5,000 hours around each. They're in prison. That's a unique thing where it makes you think, wow. Of people I've been very close to at stages in life found themselves, themselves in a cell against their own will and I've asked myself, have I made enough effort for this statement, I was in prison and you came to me. Other verses say you visited me. For some, that's a letter, it's a call, or it's an actual visitation. But are we prioritizing things that matter in life, or are we just on this rat race where the bandwidth, we say, maybe truthfully so, I don't have any time. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, take you in, naked, clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. And then he goes to the others. He says, you didn't make time. You had enough food, you didn't share it. You had enough drink, you didn't share it. You had time to visit me in prison. You didn't make the time. You had extra clothing. You didn't share with those who don't have clothing. I don't like to come across as preachy. But these words strike at the heart of our culture. Of our social media feeds. We, we put a face, I am amazing, you'd be lucky if you were as amazing as I am. And we fall into this temptation, wow, that's their amazing life, I need those things too. If I had a house like that, if I had a car like that, if I had a tractor like that, It's funny, if you live in an area like this and you see tractors, I think I'm, I'm uh, sharing my soul right now of how nice a tractor is. So you start to see these things that other people have. And the rich young ruler said, I like my stuff. And we get into that thing of, I've earned this. I've worked hard for this. And who is this Jesus guy to bully his way into my life at a church or a sermon or a podcast or however we hear truth and to convict me or at times wonder, am I feeling guilty? I don't want to feel this shame. Whatever way we describe it, conviction can come home and we can say, I'm not living this life where Jesus says, well done. Well done. You had, you had all these things and you shared I mean, it's like a simple thing we teach our children. Share your toys. Yet when we get older, we stop sharing our toys. 
The New Testament church, it talks about having all these things in common. Do we have that generous reputation? Do we have that idea of, Lord, I'm awake another morning. How can I bless someone today? I've got more money than I know what to do with. The temptation is, like the man in Scripture, these barns aren't big enough. Tear them down, build newer barns. Tear down this gymnasium, build a bigger gymnasium. Tear down this church, build a bigger church. We're as guilty as the world is. And the Lord will make an account with the nations. What speaks to me here is this idea of recognizing in our lives where we may have bandwidth and where we may not. And being honest with the Lord and saying, Lord, I've got a lot of windows in my life and I'm peeking through them and wishing I had things or spending time on things that maybe aren't beneficial to me. And the miracle that we need the Lord to do is, Lord, come into my life and show me what windows to close so that I have more bandwidth for the things that matter. Thank you for listening. For more messages and food for your spiritual life, go to adairsvillesda.com.